Bundle and save at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin and protect your home from nature. Get a 250 series patio door and eight double hung windows with hidden screens for as low as $188 per month. Visit PellaWI.com. From the Bank 59 WTMJ Studios at the Wisconsin State Fair, it's the Jeff Wagner Show, live from State Fair. Now, here is Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. A somewhat belated welcome to the Friday edition of the Jeff Wagner Show. Okay, so this is the beauty of live radio. We are at our State Fair broadcast facility, a particularly attractive group of people who are setting up here. So I come in, talk to Scafidi, talk to Sandy Max, have everything set up. I've got my computers going. We're all set to go. And right as Connie Weber's news is starting, there's a big bang, bang, which is never good. And then it's followed by a smaller bang. And then everything goes dark. Uh, The computers go down. And so our ace engineer here, John Tyler, is working on this. So we're back out on, we're on the air, and we will get through it. Uh, We're trying to get all the different features back. Um, Our our live streaming cameras, at least as of the moment, I've just lost my computers up here, but our live streaming cameras, I believe, are working. So if you want to watch that, I know a number of you do. So we've got all that. So this is kind of going back. This is sort of going back to the days of radio when I started at State Fair 25 years ago, and I've told this story before. It used to be, and if you were a longtime listener of WTMJ, you will recall, we used to have like a separate State Fair number, and we had one of those old phones that had like five incoming lines and I'd have a producer sitting next to me and I'd throw out the topic and I'd give my opinion and people would call in and he'd punch the button and then he'd whisper, the Wagner Show, what's your comment? And then he'd write that out as to who that was and what they wanted to say on this little slip of paper and give it to me. We're we're kind of going back to that on at least my last broadcast from the 2023 State Fair. I will be here till 3 o'clock. If you're coming out, it is a beautiful, beautiful day. I know there's some rain in the forecast for later on. Do not let that, do not let that deter deter you because, well, you know, you just never know. Plus, the great thing about State Fair is there's all sorts of places that you can go in an effort, you know, if it does rain for a little bit, there's all sorts of places that you can go, whether it's the Expo Center or the Cream Puff Pavilion. There's all sorts of places you can go to get out of the rain. So come on out, say hi. Like I say, this is my last broadcast of the 2023 State Fair. Can't believe how quickly this goes. It seems like only yesterday when we were doing Cream Puff Palooza with all the Cream Puff giveaways. Matter of fact, as I was walking... Um, this morning, as I was walking around the grounds, ran into uh, a lady and gentleman who were thanking me for giving them the cream puffs. Always a lot of fun. Okay, I think we're ready to go. Here is the deal. We talk on this program a lot about crime. And I've got a link to this story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a link to this story. It's one of the many reasons why we will never, ever, ever, get a handle on crime in Milwaukee County. And it's because we have, in this case, a district attorney who simply refuses to charge cases. Um, Of the cases referred to the district attorney's office for prosecution, these are cases where the police believe they have a viable case. And they're not always right, but nine times out of ten, they are. The district attorney's office charges less than 40%, which means for the cases the cops solve, they send them down hoping they're going to be prosecuted. John Chisholm's office charges less than four out of ten. 
Now, this isn't before we even get into plea bargaining. This isn't before we even get into, you know, the, the courts dismissing cases or slapping on the wrist sentences. You only get four out of 10 cases charged. So let me tell you a story first reported in Wisconsin Right Now, which is one of the great local websites. And the hero of this story is the River Hills police chief. Now, the River Hills police chief is a guy named Milton Morozek. River Hills, for those of you who do not know, is a it's a village in the northern portion of Milwaukee County. It, it borders on Ozaki County. It tends to, well, it not tends to be, it is a, a very, very well-heeled community. Lots of the lots are at least five acres. This is where a number of the wealthier people in the city of, in, in Milwaukee County choose to live. Wonderful homes. I have a number of friends who live in River Hills. In addition, because those people want to be safe, there is a commitment. They have a very aggressive police department. They, they hire people. They expect um, they expect service from the police officers, and in general, they get it. So here is the story. This is what happens: the afternoon of July twenty second, a resident's home in River Hills is burglarized. All right. Now this is a big deal because authorities in River Hills don't want the word to get out that, hey, you you can come up here and you can start robbing people. So July 22nd in the afternoon, a resident's home is burglarized. During the burglary, numerous items are stolen and a vehicle is stolen out of the garage. All right, so you get the idea. Somebody busts into the house, burglarizes the home, steals the car. Okay, so it's a big deal in River Hills. So the police... This is something that doesn't happen a lot in Milwaukee. The police actually respond and they start investigating because they think breaking into somebody's house and stealing their stuff and stealing their car is a big thing, right? So they're investigating this. Early the next morning, about 14 hours later, River Hills police are able to find the vehicle in Milwaukee. Now, if your car is stolen in the city of Milwaukee, good luck. You know, maybe it'll turn up, you know, two or three weeks later, you know, generally speaking, looted and burned out and stuff. But but they don't even look for it in Milwaukee. But the River Hills cops, they're looking for it. So they find this vehicle in Milwaukee. Now, follow me with the story. The vehicle is parked, and in the driver's seat, there's a guy passed out behind the wheel of the car. Okay, so he's passed out behind the wheel of a car. In his pocket, they find the keys to the stolen vehicle. Okay, now, look, I I, I don't think, I went to law school, right, and I did okay there, and I was a prosecutor for years and years, but you find a guy passed out in a stolen car with the keys to the car in the pocket, well, okay, I think there's a pretty good inference that you stole the car, but it gets better. He's got the vehicle's keys in the car, and he's got in his pocket a card that belongs to the homeowner. So he's got like a card that came out of the house that was burglarized. So you have the guy passed out behind the wheel of the car, keys to the stolen car in his pocket, and a card belonging to the homeowner. It gets better. Throughout the car were numerous items taken from the the place, the burglary. Okay, so you've got stolen items that are there. He's in the stolen car. He's got the keys. Also in the vehicle are documents that were stolen in a previous burglary in Racine County. All right. 
house broken into, car stolen. You find a guy passed out behind the wheel of the stolen car, keys in his pocket, and proceeds from the theft all over the car. Well, okay. If it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it is probably a duck, right? This is the guy that stole the car. So the River Hills police chief send this down to John Chisholm's office saying, hey, we caught this car theft. Well, car thief. Well, this is probably unusual because, like I say, in Milwaukee, you you don't catch car thieves and they're rarely prosecuted. According to Wisconsin right now, the case was presented to the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office and they refused to go forward with any charges. They refused to go forward with any charges. No charges of burglary, no charges of theft of movable property, no charges of operating a vehicle without an owner's consent, no charges even of possession of stolen property. The River Hills police chief says, subjects in a stolen vehicle, surrounded by stolen items, stolen property in his pocket, and they won't even charge a possession of stolen property charge. It gets better. Turns out that the guy who is in the car with the stolen property, with the keys in his pocket, turns out he is an illegal alien who is in this country illegally, who is out on, out on, suspicion of charges of doing the same thing down in Racine, (laughs) down in Racine. So you now have an illegal alien who is suspected of doing the exact same thing, which would explain some of the stuff he had, who's burglarized this house, who has stolen the car, and the DA's office just is going to let him go. Now, the good news about all this is that the River Hills police chief, we just won't tolerate this because he understands that the people he reports to, people in River Hills, they won't tolerate this. So he goes public with the fact that this is what we caught and this is what the DAs have done. So the, the only good news about this is that apparently six hours after the River Hills police chief has gone public with this ridiculous decision to turn this illegal alien who was responsible for stealing the car loose um, the DA's office apparently reconsiders, and after being publicly shamed on this, they have apparently now decided that they will charge the subject with receiving stolen property. Not car theft, you know, not operating without an owner's consent, but they're going to charge him with receiving stolen property. But it's only because... This case was publicized by the River Hills police chief who would not tolerate this. If this had happened probably anywhere else in Milwaukee and the police chiefs had made the decision not to go public because they didn't want to upset John Chisholm or the people that work at Chisholm's office, this guy would have been able to, uh, again, theoretically go out and commit even more crimes. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Here is my takeaway of this. The only way we are going to be able to get a handle on crime in Milwaukee County, which in my opinion is out of control, the only way you're going to do it is if more police chiefs and officers start doing exactly what it is that the River Hills police chief did, which is calling attention to the ridiculous policies that this district attorney has with regard to refusing to charge people who are obviously guilty of crimes with crimes. 
40% charging rate of cases referred by police is an embarrassment. Now, I'm not saying every case that a police officer refers to the district attorney's office you know, should be charged. Sometimes there's all sorts of uh, intervening matters and things like that. But when you're only charging 4 out of 10, it tells me pretty clearly that you are not doing your job and you're trying to find every way you can to let criminals go, which explains why there's only 6% of car thefts which get solved in Milwaukee County. Your chances of getting the person prosecuted who steals your car is slim to none, and slim is on a bus heading out of town. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, isn't it time for more police officers to start publicly calling out the ridiculous, soft-on-crime policies, which are resulting in criminals being turned loose on the street? And the answer to me is clearly yes, yes, a thousand times yes. 855-616-1620. We, uh, we're back in just a minute. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I I understand. I, I was a prosecutor for twelve plus years. I understand sometimes there's t- some tough decisions, but but th- these are the cases that scream out saying you you've you've got to you got to issue these charges. Otherwise, the reason people continue to commit crimes is because they they know they can. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Brad in Germantown. Brad, you're first. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Brad. You're on the air. So I had something very similar happen with me. Uh, my house was broken into. They stole my truck keys. My son called me a couple weeks later, saying my truck is stolen from our front yard. After going through that. They finally recover my truck in Milwaukee. And at the time, they were not planning to do any charges. I said, we looked through it. My son finds a receipt for McDonald's. I called back to the DA's office in Milwaukee. said, this is ridiculous. I pushed Germantown PD to help out. And basically, they, they were serving a warrant at another location. And lo and behold, when they recovered my truck, they find an individual with my keys in my pocket or in his pocket of my truck, and they ask him, you know, what's the deal with the keys? And he hadn't said the same thing. I pushed this all the way through to a trial, and at an evidential trial for evidence, they said the judge goes, well, you know, the guy was in handcuffs for a couple hours as they are trying to figure things out, and he dismissed the case. And he asked at the end, he said, well, are there any questions to the DA's office or the defendant's office or to the defender? And I was wanting to raise my hand and say, yeah, I have a defense. I have a question. Why on earth are you laying this guy off after you have him dead to rights on body camera and collecting the keys on his right. person? Right, right. And the answer was? Yeah, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, and look, this this is, is the problem. And by the way, if you've got judges that are kicking cases that should be, then then, then the district, look, if, if I was the district attorney and, and you had judges that were doing this, I, look, I, I'm going to war with them, figuratively speaking. I'm calling these out. I'm calling, well, the local newspaper has its own orientation, but I'm calling TV stations. I'm saying this is the case we had. This is the prosecution. And this is the decision. And so if it hacks off some judges, too bad. 
bad because maybe those judges shouldn't be on the bench. We're getting swamped with texts out here. Jeff, it doesn't surprise me. I have a good number of cars stolen from my business over the years. Twice they found people in them with the keys in their pocket, and they would not charge them with theft, period. They didn't charge them with anything, period. The people said they were using the car or renting the car. Okay, fine. This is how I would handle this if I'm the prosecutor. I'm charging you with car theft. If you want to get on the witness stand and you want to deny that, all right, you do that. And let's see how you stand up on cross-examination. And let's find out, okay, who was it that you're renting the car from? Who was it that you were borrowing the car from? My guess is, now you might need a trial, but my guess is, you know, more often than not, juries are going to see through this. A um, number of people are asking, when is Chisholm up for re-election? Well, he's up for re-election in November of 24. And uh, the question becomes, uh, the, the, the scary thing is, you know, if you if Chisholm goes... And I think everybody pretty much realizes he should go. The question is, who else are you going to get? I mean, I guess it's possible that, um, you know, possible that, you know, maybe somebody else, you know, would be even worse if it's possible to be even worse. Um, 855-616-1620. Renee on the south side. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I love your show. Thank and you. I just want you to know I have quite a few comments, though, for you. <laughs> One, my niece's Kia was stolen, and the Milwaukee police did find it within 24 hours. So they must be looking for cars even in Milwaukee County when they're stolen. Um, two, uh, regarding the entire case, as a former prosecutor, I would think that you would know that they really don't have a case. They got a guy sitting in the car, the keys in his pocket. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence. Yes, he probably did it. But there's no proof he stole it. And I was on a... Okay, but but, but then charging with stolen property. You're in a car surrounded by... Renee, Renee, thanks for calling. I'm sorry, I could not disagree with you more. And, And that's... I could not disagree with you more. I have no trouble as a prosecutor walking this case into court saying, here is the guy... Um, we found him in the stolen car. We, sa- we found him with the keys to the stolen car in his pocket. We found him surrounded by stolen property. We found him with a card belonging to the victim in his pocket. If, Renee, you would not convict that guy of possession of stolen property, car theft, and other things, well, that's probably, no disrespect, but that's probably what the underlying problem would be. That, to me, is overwhelming evidence of guilt. But if nothing else, else you got to take a shot at it if you find 12 crazy jurors that want to turn this guy loose okay then they want to turn this guy loose but don't you at least have to make an effort to try to do this um there's just no question about that at at all and so you have a situation where you know you've got out of control crime you have somebody who is obviously guilty so what are we saying now that the only way we're going to charge somebody with car theft is if we i don't know catch them after a high speed chase or see them as they are driving out of the driveway no there is this thing called circumstantial evidence and i'm willing to take that case to court and i'm willing to bet that 12 jurors even in Milwaukee county aren't going to be bamboozled and are going to return a conviction but at the very 
least, you have to make it try. You have to give a try of it. Otherwise, you're just turning things loose. This is the thing. Do you realize that of the eight plus thousand cars that were stolen in Milwaukee County in in 2022, they only the police only solved about six percent of those cases. And of those six percent, who knows how many were actually charged after that? It is a disgrace and a joke what is going on in the criminal justice system. And it's not going to get any better unless police start, again, calling out the district attorney's office. And interestingly enough, after the River Hills police chief went public with this, six hours later, apparently the DA's office reversed its position and decided that, well, at least we're going to charge him with possession of stolen property. My God, if you're in a car surrounded by stolen property, you've got the keys to the stolen car in your pocket and you've got a bit, you've got a card of some sort coming from the house that was stolen. What more could you possibly need to convict somebody for that? Some criminals are tough. Some prosecutions are tough. Others are what I call low-hanging fruit. My goodness, this wasn't low-hanging fruit. This was an apple that had fallen to the ground. And until they were publicly called out, the district attorney's office was not going to do anything. And you wonder why crime is out of control. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the 2023 Wisconsin State Fair. Welcome back. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. All right. Related story to this. If you wonder why criminals do things, it's because they can. And this is reported by today's TMJ4. Here's the headline. Cops can't. Milwaukee DA, that would be the same John Chisholm who didn't want to charge the guy that stole all the stuff. Cops can't. Milwaukee DA won't won't use law to target habitual bad drivers. I'm sorry, I feel bad for the people that are watching the show at the State Fair here or those of you who are streaming us because this is one that really might get my head to explode. Montel Brown has racked up so many tickets, his driving record is a surprise to even seasoned police officers. This is the way today's TMJ4 reports it. Oh, my goodness, what is this? Mumbled an officer checking Brown's driver's history during a July 2019 traffic stop. In August 2020, an officer handed Brown a ticket and a scolding. Scolding. So you're revoked because of your driving record. It's pretty awful, to be honest with you. Over the last decade, Brown has likely heard an earful from Milwaukee police. They have written him traffic tickets. 115 times, making Brown the number one repeat offender in the city. He's number one. All those tickets have helped earn Montel Brown an elite status among the worst of the worst drivers in Wisconsin. He's what the state calls an habitual traffic offender. HTO status, habitual traffic offender, is earned after a dozen moving violations like speeding or running a red light or four major violations like operating while intoxicated, reckless driving, or vehicular homicide. Once a person is notified they are a habitual traffic offender by the Department of Transportation, their license is revoked for five years. Okay, so you don't have a driver's license. Like, that's going to stop them. The penalty for driving while revoked 
as an habitual traffic offender is up to six months in jail on top of any other sentence for the underlying offense. Court records show Montel Brown got his 12th moving violation on June 20th, 2018. According to the Wisconsin Department of Transportation, that's the day he became a habitual traffic offender. But Montel Brown kept on driving. Steam is now coming out of my ears. Since then, he's been cited for operating while revoked 10 more times. Not once was he ticketed or prosecuted as an habitual traffic offender. Um, w, uh, TMJ4 News discovered two reasons why the law was never used. First, the way the law is written gives police little way, little, little leeway to use it. Under state law, operating while revoked is nothing more than a traffic ticket and a fine. That ticket lands the offender in municipal court. Habitual traffic offender penalties defined by state statute only apply in a criminal court. Okay, so let's start there. As we have talked about on this program on multiple occasions, it is insane, insane that you can engage in reckless driving or operating a car while revoked time after time after time after time, and all that happens is you get a ticket that you bundle up, don't pay, throw in the back seat of your car, and then continue driving. And it's only if you hit and kill somebody or seriously injure them that you might be held accountable. So that's a bad flaw in state law, no question about it. But then here's where the district attorney's office comes in. Um, what happens is uh, there are situations why um, there's a second reason why the laws was never used against Montel Brown. This is what Channel 4 says. The discretion of Milwaukee County prosecutors. TMJ4 News found in cases where a habitual traffic offender has landed in criminal court, prosecutors in Milwaukee County have ignored the law. In February of 2021, Brown was picked up for driving while revoked because of an OWI conviction. Okay, so OWI, driving while revoked for OWI-related reasons, is a criminal charge. So they've got the guy in criminal court. A check of court record shows the DA's office never applied the habitual traffic offender law to Brown. In May, TMJ4 News asked for an explanation. A spokesperson for the DA said, We would agree the enhancer could have been used in this case. And based on what we're seeing, there are other cases without that enhancer being addressed. When TMJ4 News last month asked John Chisholm's office to sit down and explain what happened, he refused. He doesn't feel he has to answer as to why they are putting traffic offenders back out on the street. They say the revoked driving cases are charged criminally, carry a 12-month potential jail sentence, which we think is sufficient exposure. Well, Channel 4 says Montel Brown didn't get the message about sufficient exposure. There he was again in November 22, driving while revoked after an OWI. See, here is the problem. You have a district attorney in Milwaukee County that is bending over backwards to not do his job and to put dangerous people back out on the street. Now, sooner or later, what's going to happen is this guy's going to be driving revoked. He's going to kill somebody. And then everybody's going to say, okay, well, how could you still be driving, you know, without a license, driving revoked, driving with all these problems, and and how is it that we wouldn't do anything? Well, we wouldn't do anything because the district attorney's office won't do anything. And I understand there's issues with the law. I think the state legislature should make driving after revoked, after the second or third time, that should be a crime. But even when they get a chance to use these enhancers and these charges, they won't 
do it. They won't hold people accountable. So if you wonder why people do this all the time, it's a simple answer. They do it because they can, because the people that are supposed to be protecting us and keeping us safe don't do their jobs. Period. I've got a link to this story as well. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You don't even know what to say about this stuff. It's just it would be funny if it wasn't so damn serious. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Broadcasting live from the Bank 5-9 studio at the Wisconsin State Fair. By the way, I understand the, the, the frustration that rank-and-file police officers have. I hear about this on an almost daily basis. I mean, I mean, here's the deal. You, you catch somebody who um, has stolen a car. And then you send it over to the DA's office, and it's not going to get charged. You catch, you you pull over this guy, what, over 100, 115 various violations. You catch him over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and he keeps doing the same thing because all you can do is write him a ticket. But then once he does do something that lands him in criminal court, it lands in criminal court and the DA's office doesn't do anything. And and that's, even if the DA's office doesn't do anything, that's then assuming that the, the judges, that they will do something. And that's, you know, I mean, that's, you know, six, one, five, the other, pick them, you know, as to how it's going to work out. So I understand the frustrations. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a, a rank and file police officer out there on the street who wants to do your job. You want to get the bad guys off the street. That's why you sign up for this, but you deal with situations where I, I've got a district attorney's office that doesn't care. I've got a court system that doesn't care. I have in some um, areas, I have a hostile media that's just looking for me an opportunity to find if I've made a mistake, they're going to then crucify me. You've got at least some members of the public who are out there here. You know what we're going to do is whenever we see something going on, we're going to pull out our cell phones and we're going to video it. And then we're going to put it up on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. And we're hoping that we can find something where we think that the police officer, you know, misbehaved. You know, meanwhile, the criminals run free. We get the type of community that we accept. We get the type of community that we deserve. And at some point in time, you know, somebody's got to stand up and say, all right, look, you've got the mayor. That that's His goal is, hey, I want to double the population of the city of Milwaukee. I want it to have a million people by the next, you know, X number of years. Well, good luck with that. I, I mean, good luck with that, unless you're going to make it a criminal island where this is going to be, you know, hey, if you're a criminal, come on down here. Because the way crime is going, who wants to locate in areas where you're setting yourself up to be a victim and you know that there's going to be very, very, very little accountability? These stories should be so incredibly frustrating and you know, unfortunately, some, not all, but some elements of the mainstream media just don't want to tell them because, gee, we don't want to be accused of being, you know, uh, too harsh on, on this type of individual or that type of individual or, gee, you know, how, how can we tell the story about the guy who's the illegal alien who's broken into the burglarized the home and stolen the car because then some of the folks that support illegal aliens, they might get mad at us. Well, okay, maybe we need a little bit of outrage when people commit crimes, just saying. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. We 
We are broadcasting live from the Bank 5-9 studio at the Wisconsin State Fair. This is the final weekend of the State Fair. All sorts of great stuff going on. The weather is absolutely perfect. I was out during the break saying hi to people from all over. A couple ladies from Appleton and somebody from Pembine, which, as you told me, is right by Dunbar, and lady from West Allis. We appreciate that. So if you're out at the fair, stop off and say hi. I just, I'm always a little bit nostalgic when I sit here on the last day of the fair because, like I say, I... um. The second week I was at WTMJ, which was in the summer of 1998, I, I was out at the Wisconsin State Fair, and we've been broadcasting here with the exception of one year where our management at the time, and management that management team is long gone, thought, ah, we don't need to be out at the fair. You know, it's no big deal. And I think they quickly realized that that was a mistake. So we've been out here every year since then, and just all sorts of great stories. And it's always one of my favorite events of the year. When we come back after the top of the hour news, Joe Biden has decided to ransom hostages. He's going to pay or cause to be paid $6 billion to arrange a prisoner trade. I understand where he's coming from, but what is the effect of what he's doing? I will explain. We will discuss. And then an effort to smear a local advocacy group. I'll explain that as well. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after the top of the hour news. This is Jeff Wagner. From the Bank 5-9 WTMJ Studios at the Wisconsin State Fair, it's the Jeff Wagner Show, live from State Fair. Now, here is Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. All right, here is the story. I'm already hearing from Joe Biden apologist. Oh, they're not paying a ransom. All right, here is the deal. Just like... What happened with Russia? Remember, Russia grabs uh, WNBA player Brittany Griner, who stupidly uh, flies to Russia right before they're getting ready to invade Ukraine, and, and she's got a little bit of hashish oil in, in her bag. Well, in a rational world, she would have been, the stuff would have been seized, she would have been fined, she might have been deported, but because Putin recognizes he's got a chance to hold an American hostage. He grabs her. He holds her hostage. She was, in my opinion, a political prisoner. And ultimately, what was it? They do a prisoner exchange where we get the WNBA player back and uh, they get the convicted merchant of death, an arms dealer who was selling selling arms that were used to kill Americans. Okay, re- real good deal. The concern at the time was that if you do things like this, it is going to encourage some of the despots and the tyrants around the world to grab more Americans. It's one of the reasons why... I, I, you know, I, I, for example, Russia then grabbed this Wall Street Journal reporter, um, and, and they're holding him on these trumped up charges. It's one of the reasons why I firmly believe that the State Department should pretty much be forbidding travel to Russia. And the, the message should be, you go to this, you, you decide to go to Russia, for example, you're, you're kind of on your own, because whenever it suits the purpose of Vladimir Putin to grab you, I think they're going to grab you. All right, which brings us to, as long as we're talking about tyrants and despots, it brings us to Iran. Over the last five years or so, Iran Iran has arrested and detained at least five American citizens or people with dual citizenship, although Iran does not recognize dual citizenship. They have arrested and detained. They've arrested and imprisoned at, at least five people who are Americans. And as a general rule, 
while the cases are different, these are all trumped-up charges. They're, they're, these people have essentially been held hostage by the Iranian government. And understandably, the families of these individuals, they want them back. I mean, I, I understand that. I, I get it. You know, if your son or daughter or your brother or your sister was being you know, held on trumped up charges of spying or things like that and was incarcerated in an Iranian prison, I understand you'd want the government to do everything you possibly could to get it back, get them back. Well, apparently there is a deal that has been cut between the Biden administration and Iran. Here's what here's what's going to take to get these five people back. First of all, the U.S. is going to have to essentially agree to a prisoner trade. We're going to have to release at least five Iranians who have been convicted, convicted, mind you, of various criminal violations. And those names aren't being made public at this point in time. But there's going to be at least five of them that just like the merchant of death who was freed, they're going to be freed in order to get the people back. Okay, so you you have this prisoner, quote unquote, swap that's going on. On top of that, the Biden administration, and I understand if you're a lover of Joe Biden, you don't like this uh, reference, but the Biden administration is essentially going to pay a $6 billion ransom to Iran for the release of these prisoners. You did not hear me wrong, $6 billion. Here's what's going on. Um, Right now, because of sanctions against Iran, There is $6 billion of Iranian assets that is tied up in South Korea. The U.S. has that blocked. It's because of sanctions. In order to get these individuals released, the U.S. is going to allow this money to go to Iran. So is it the taxpayers themselves from the U.S.? paying $6 billion in tax money? No, but it's money that Iran can't get. It's money that is tied up in sanctions that the U.S. is going to now allow Iran to get in order to release these prisoners. Six B as in billion dollars. Now, the, the, the joke of this is that under this proposed deal, the money, the $6 billion that Iran can't get, the $6 billion is going to be transferred to a bank in Qatar. And supposedly authorities in Qatar are only going to release it to Iran so they can use it on humanitarian purposes. All right, let me take a step back here. Anybody who believes that that's how the Iranian government is going to use this $6 billion windfall that they're suddenly get, oh, it's going to be on humanitarian purposes, um, I, my advice is be sure you duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself too badly. I mean, the reality is once that money is freed from South Korea, um, it – I, I can't exactly see Qatar standing up to Iran saying, hey, no, okay, you want this $2 billion, you want this $3 billion? here, we're not going to give it to you. Give me a break. Once this money is released, it's going to go to Iran, and Iran, for all intents and purposes, is going to be able to use it for whatever they want to use it for, whether it's building up their national army, whether it's developing weapons, whatever. This is essentially a ransom that is being, at least in my opinion, that is being paid. Now, I acknowledge it's not tax money 
from the U.S., but it's money that Iran can't get were it not for the fact that the U.S. is now going to say we're going to drop the sanctions. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, let's tee this up. Let, let's, let's tee this up. All right, you want to get these five Americans who are unjustly detained and Iran back. You, you, no question about it. But we're not going to just do a prisoner swap. We're going to release $6 billion that Iran otherwise wouldn't have. What is the message that comes from this? Well, the message is grab Americans, hold Americans, wrongfully convict Americans, and you know what? you are going to be able to use that as a leverage point, as a pressure point, to extort pretty much whatever you want from the American government. In this case, it's 6B, as in billion dollars. 855-616-1620. What do you think about this proposed deal? We discuss in just a moment. We're broadcasting live from the Bank 5-9 studio at the Wisconsin State Fair. Now, like I said, there, there's some people who say, well, we're, we're not... That we're not paying a ransom because it's not U.S. dollars that are involved. Okay, well, sorry, I disagree. This is money that Iran, it's $6 billion that is tied up in sanctions that they would not otherwise be able to get were it not for their willingness to release five American prisoners. So, yeah, that that's what the exchange is. And, yes, I think we are paying a ransom, the ransom being the $6 billion that we're dropping, um, we're dropping the sanctions on because they wouldn't have it otherwise. One of our textures makes an interesting point. You wonder how many more Ukrainians will die after Iran uses the money to facilitate arms and drones to Russia. Interesting point. But but don't worry. Don't worry. The Biden administration says, hey, Qatar is going to – their banks are going to regulate this, and, and they're going to make sure that Iran only uses this money for humanitarian purposes. Huh? I, I mean, really? Huh? How, yeah, that, how are we going to enforce that? Jeff, I'm in 100% agreement with you that this is a bad deal with Iran. And I honestly think you're right. If anybody believes this is good for the United States of America, I've got some oceanfront property to sell them in Arizona. Um, Jeff, it seems to be a lose-lose situation. Um, Biden is perceived as either weak and feckless because he can't get Americans freed, or he's weak and feckless for paying ransom. Glad these people are coming home, but I'm angry Iran is getting $6 billion to spend on supporting terrorists. That is precisely what the ultimate effect of this is going to be. And the message it sends to these places, the message it sends is that, hey, look, if you grab Americans, you're going to be in a situation where you grab Americans. We know, you know, you want something from you want something from the government. Here, you know, we'll be able to figure out, you know, what that is. 855-616-1620. We're broadcasting live from Wisconsin State Fair. One of our texters says, "Hey, the message is we care about our citizens." And we've spent years negotiating their release. It's their money anyways. So what do we care if we free up $6 billion that a terrorist nation would not otherwise have been entitled to, that they're going to then use to sponsor international terrorism? Oh, that's that's a good deal. And I understand that there's some people out there who are apologists for this sort of thing. Look, I understand. You want to get the five people back. You, you do. I, I get it. I think that's a noble thing. But at some point in time, when you, well, one of our textures makes the point, when you give a monster a cookie, 
the monster is simply going to want more cookies. Um, Jeff, this will become a license to print money. Um, yeah, no question about that at all. Um, 8556, well, i tell you what. Jeff, Obama did basically the same thing and got some people back from Iran, and most of those people were arrested since then. What does that end up telling you? Well, look, it, this is, it's just a completely ridiculous, okay, the, the prisoner swap, if this was, Five people convicted of criminal activity in the United States in exchange for these five people being held as essentially political hostages. You, you, you can make the argument that, well, we don't want to do it, but this is just kind of what the nature of the, the beast is. But, but we're not just doing that. We're giving them $6 billion. And don't tell me, well, it's their own money, right? It, it's money that they would not have otherwise been able to receive. And it's money that you know darn well is going to be used to sponsor international terrorism. How many people are going to die as a result of this? And what message does it send? Okay, let's go back to Gianni and Montello. We were rudely disconnected. Gianni, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, you heard the story break yesterday. Uh, I am flummoxed. I don't understand why someone that's given citizenship uh, in the United States um, and a U.S. passport, regardless of what country they're from, would want to return, return to uh, Iran or Russia or North Korea or some of these, uh, these states that are hostile to the United States. Um, if, it's a, if it's an issue with familial problems, I mean, if you have family there and you want to visit, implore the State Department to get uh, your family here into the United States, but you certainly wouldn't want to return to um, a country that uh, since the late 1970s we've been, uh, we've had great yeah, differences well. with. They sausages. And, and so, you know, I, I think that this is just adding fuel to the fire and sends a message that um, more Americans, when they travel, are going to be taken hostage and this problem will continue. Um, Gianni, thanks for the call. I, I I agree, I, and I and I don't want to sound unsympathetic to the family members of of these individuals. I, I get it, just like the guy who works for the Wall Street Journal who got grabbed and is being wrongfully detained in, in Russia now. I think maybe the message that needs to go out moving forward is if you decide that you want to go to Russia, if you decide that you want to go to Iran, you've got to understand that you, you're you putting yourself at substantial risk and hate to say it, but if something bad ends up happening, if you get wrongfully detained or whatever, you're, you're going to be on your own because you you got to know that this is coming. And that's one of the things that really comes out of this story, that six billion dollars is being paid and yes i feel comfortable using the word ransom now again i understand it's they're releasing sanctions but it's money that iran otherwise would not be able to get but for the fact that they've done they've agreed to release these five american prisoners so yeah that is to me a ransom it's not u.s taxpayer dollars per se and for people who say it's their own money well yes and no it's it's money that they would not have been able to get because again of the sanctions against them now they're getting it yeah we're paying a ransom we're paying a dear ransom and we don't even know the backgrounds of the people that we're going to be released 
releasing. So it's not just the prisoner swap. It's all this money as well. And if you don't think you've got the folks in Iran who now recognize that they've bamboozled the U.S. government and they're probably trying to figure out, okay, who else can we grab and hold because how much other money do we want to have paid to us? If you think that's not happening, again, just like with the previous topic, be sure to duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't get hurt. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the 2023 Wisconsin State Fair. You know, then you have the people that always want to play the, the race card. One of our texters says, if they were white Americans, the public would demand them back at any cost. My point was, no, it's exactly the opposite. The people still detained in Russia are, are white Americans. Um, Brittany Griner, she, she came back. Um, it, it's the white Americans that are being detained. Now, the point I think they're trying to make is that these are um, Iranian Americans in general. <laughs> the point, it's, it's not white, black, or whatever, and it's very sad that some people view everything through a racial prism. The reality is that if they're American citizens, you want to do what you can to get them back. I got it. But $6 billion paid to a terrorist nation that you know darn well is going to be used to foment terrorist activity all across the world. How can that possibly, possibly be a good deal? All right. Let us switch gears. Here is the story as it appears in the local newspaper. The Milwaukee Brewers could start looking for a new home this fall. This fall, if state and local officials fail to reach an agreement by then on a taxpayer-funded package to fund improvements to American Family Field required in the team's lease with the state, sources say, a process that might lead them to boom towns of Charlotte, North Carolina, or Nashville, Tennessee. Um, da 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 Months after Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers proposed spending $290 million in taxpayer dollars to help ensure the Brewers stay in Wisconsin, and after Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred urged lawmakers to act quickly, a deal has not yet materialized. That has pushed Brewers officials to a point of contemplating whether communities with fast-growing populations and no Major League Baseball teams might be options if state and local officials don't produce enough funding for stadium renovations, sources with knowledge of the dynamic told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Okay, so let's, let's break this down. I think we all know this story. The um, I was going to say Miller Park, American Family Field, is owned by the, the public. As a condition of the lease they have with the brewers, they are required to make various improvements. And the estimates are that over the next X number of years, those improvements are going to cost 300 to 400 to 500 million, whatever that particular number is. There is a dispute over how that money is going to be paid. Um, it's not going to come from a sales tax. Uh, the Republicans in the legislature don't want to take the surplus and give it to the brewers. And by the way, I say the Republicans, but there's not a lot of support among a lot of outstate Democrats for doing that either. You've got the county executive in the city that are on record as saying, we don't want to contribute money to the upkeep of American Family Field. Now, I have believed all along that this deal is going to get done, but floating 
through, I don't know, off-the-record or anonymous sources, that the Brewers would consider as early as this fall exploring options to move to Dallas, not to Dallas, to Nashville or to Charlotte um, within five years. I don't think that that's constructive at all. And if that's part of some PR strategy, I I think they they need to go back to the drawing board because the way to get this done isn't necessarily to threaten to leave. And that's certainly the implication of this story. Now, Rick Schlesinger, the CEO from the Brewers, was on our air earlier today, and he was saying, no, we're confident that a deal is going to get done. And and I'm confident a deal is going to get done as well. But I think that deal is going to require cooperation and contributions from a number of different parties, including the city of Milwaukee, where Miller Park, Miller Park, where American Family Field is based, Milwaukee County, where American Family Field is based, and the state legislature. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, the, the upshot of this story is, well, the brewers the brewers might be looking to leave if something doesn't happen by the fall. First of all, do you believe that? And secondly, if you believe it, does it, I don't know, make you worry and wonder and say, okay, we've got to get a deal done right away? I mean, their lease doesn't expire for another six years. 855-616-1620. Um, Oakland's been trying to get out of Oakland for 20 years. And unlike the Brewers that have huge attendance, I was at the ball game the other night, and I think they've already drawn in the neighborhood of $1.8 million. You know, they're going to draw, they're not going to draw $3 million this year, but they're going to draw... They, you know, when it comes to attendance and fan base, this community punches above its weight when it comes to supporting this team in a fashion that I'm not sure that other communities like Nashville or Charlotte would do. But in any event, do you believe there's a realistic chance that the Brewers would leave? And as a corollary to that, all right, do we need to get the money to at least make these improvements. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. My take on this, look, I think the deal is going to get done. I believe that having the brewers here in Wisconsin is an asset. There's, there's no question about it. If nothing else, players pay taxes. The the visiting players, they pay taxes pro rata based on their salaries. They contribute to Wisconsin in that form. There's also the other value that the stadium has. But I think, you know, the city's got to get serious about this. The county's got to get serious about this. We have to realize that a lot of people have skin in the game. And simply to expect, I don't know, legislators Republicans and Democrats out state to pick up the whole tab, I think that's pretty much a bridge too far. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, so let's tee this up. Um, Do you really believe the brewers are going to leave? That's, I guess, the first question. And the second question would be, do we need to get this revenue thing done at some point in time? All right, let's start with uh, Michael in Lake Geneva. Michael, you're first. Good afternoon. Michael. Michael, Michael. Okay. Um, let's see, 855-616-1620. One of our texters is asking, um, did the state 
did the state put money into Fiserv? Yes, the state put money into Fiserv. Um, the city and county also put money into Fiserv in various ways. I think the city built the parking structure that they share the revenue with. So that's that's a situation where you do have a, a shared sort of situation. Jeff, uh, the Brewer story just made me mad. Such a deliberate scare piece. Even though I support some sort of deal to keep the team, these tactics might make me rethink that support. Well, right. I mean, look, the, the, I mean, and here's here's the thing. It's one of the reasons why I think that the Brewers aren't going anywhere. First of all, I believe that ultimately this is going to get done. But secondly, I mean, you, you know, Oakland, that, that doesn't draw flies. I mean, Oakland, you know, they've had for years and years and years, they've had attendance of five and eight and 10,000. You know, here, even on, you know, Tuesday nights, you're, you're drawing 25,000 people. The fan base is huge here. I think to try to assume that, gee, if we leave, the grass is going to be greener. I, I think that that's, I, I don't think anybody seriously believes that. I, I also wonder, I mean, quite candidly, you know, baseball owners, they've got to approve this. And, you, you know, you're, you're going to take a vibrant baseball market like Milwaukee and you're going to let the Brewers move. I just I don't think that conversation is constructive. OK, now we're ready. Michael in Lake Geneva. Michael, you're first. Hi there, Jeff. Hi, Michael. Uh, I agree with everything. I agree with everything you're saying, um, but there's got to be a big picture on this. And the big picture is the Brewers, Major League Baseball, is vital to the future of Milwaukee, to the vibe of Milwaukee. We are on such an upswing uh, in, in how we're perceived around the United States. And it's just, it, this needs to happen. $500 million is uh, not a lot to pay when you consider replacing with new stadiums that are costing upwards of a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They go to Charlotte. They go to Nashville. Oh, it's all wonderful. It's like a new romance. You're holding hands, and everything's just wonderful for, for a while, and then it starts to go stale. Well, it hasn't gone stale here. So I No, it hasn't. Everybody's got it it hasn't. We're, and we're view. not like, yeah, Michael, you know, we're not like Tampa. We're not like um, Oakland, where you know, they're not drawing. This fan base is rabid. This fan base turns out to support people. And, and, and this idea that, oh, we're going to turn our backs on this huge fan base that where we draw you know, two and a half million, maybe three million, if there's a good year and the team is good. I, I mean, I just don't see that happening. But I, I mean, I agree. The Brewers have every right to say, you know, we want to make sure that we continue to have a world-class facility in the facility that we're renting. But I, I just I can't can't imagine them seriously looking to start moving in the fall. And if they did, boy, you want to talk about hacking off a lot of potential Brewers fans. That's the way to do it. Well, they have to look, uh, you know, to their future, too. If if this is going to fall through, if the contracts are going to fall through, they need to start doing their research. Stadiums don't go up overnight. But for the for this year and last year, we were we are 16th, 14th in uh, 22 with our attendance in Major League Baseball in a small market. People love it here. Everybody, I just hope, will wake up to the fact that we need MLB in Milwaukee. Do you think it's unreasonable to expect the city and the county to kick in something? The city and county did for for Fiserv. Do you think it's unreasonable to expect the city and the county to kick in something for this? It's not unreasonable, but there does have to be something worked out to, to make the to make the people, to make the, the public feel like uh, 
a lot, you know, that, that the Brewers and who's ever involved with them are, they have skin in the game. They've got to have skin in the game as well as the general public. Yeah, hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, see, that's, I, I mean, I, I always, I, I try to go back. I still, I was doing radio when we went through the whole Miller Park thing and the five-county sales tax. And I, I still have marks on my back, psychic scars from, from, from that debate. And one, and this isn't a Republican or a Democrat thing. I don't even know that it's conservative or, or liberal. What, what you have is you have a lot of outstate legislators who simply don't, I don't want to say don't see the benefit of having the brewers in Wisconsin, but don't believe that their constituents in Minocqua or in, you know, Bayfield or in La Crosse don't believe that their constituents get anywhere near the benefit that people who live in southeast Wisconsin get, particularly Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee. And, and, you understand where that argument comes from. I mean, if you're not a baseball fan and you're living in lacrosse, you say, okay, well, you know, why are my tax dollars being used to support this baseball team that I don't follow and that at least other than the fact that the, the ball players, when they play here, do contribute and they pay state taxes. So there's that revenue factor. But, you know, if you're up in Monaco, you're saying, well, look, I don't, our community doesn't get any of these benefits. People travel to the games and they, they pay tax and they buy gas and they stop at the bars and they stop at the restaurants and maybe they go to the hotels and things like that. They're, they're, we don't get any of that. And you know what? Those people are right. That That's a legitimate sort of argument, which is why I think it is so, so wrongheaded for Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee and some of these politicians to say, well, we're not contributing anything to this. Well, it's, it's a much tougher sell because the reality is, while all of us in the state get a benefit, in my opinion, from having Major League Baseball here, it, it, the, the benefit is greater if you live in southeastern Wisconsin. That's just the reality that's there. And so for the common council or the mayor or the county executive or the county board to just simply say, we're not contributing anything to us, that that puts the state in a much more difficult position, and it puts state legislators in a much more difficult position. I agree with what Michael said. Everybody needs a degree of skin in the game to figure out how to get this done. And by the way, I, I remain convinced that it is going to get done, but threatening implicitly to move the team like this story suggests that's not the way. To, that's not the way to get this done. We continue with your calls and more texts in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair, twenty twenty three. Jeff, I do understand the pushback from local government for contributing to the station upgrade. People are getting tired of billionaires getting help for these projects. It's a reality, but probably short sighted view of the economic benefits of a sports franchise. Well, and my only point is to county and city officials, if if you expect people in Minocqua to underwrite improvements to the stadium, um, the people who get very, very little benefits other than it, the, the state taxes that it generates, uh, the, the state income taxes, um, you know, it's, it's tough to say, well, you know, those of us here in southeastern Wisconsin who benefit more directly from sales tax payments and things like that, it's tough to expect those people in Minocqua to say, okay, we're going to sign on to this. That's the reality. That's why I, I don't think 
arguments like the, some of the stuff in the language you're hearing out of the Common Council and the County Board, for example, are particularly helpful. Nor do I think it is helpful for the, the brewers, whoever it is that's floating the story. Now, the brewers officially know we want to stay here, we want to get this done, but whoever's floating the story saying, well, if it's not done by the fall, they might start exploring you know, ways to go. That's, you know, people don't respond well when you theoretic and, and you know, um, when you figuratively put a gun to their, their head. 855-616-1620. That's it. I want to get this done. Julian in Milwaukee. Julian, you're on WTMJ. Uh, thanks for taking my call, sir. I appreciate yes, it. Yes, sir. Um, well, what do you think? I just wanted to say that I, I'd like to see the war uh, stick around. They're a feel-good story. Everyone, everyone loves the team. It brings people together and all that. Um, but I'd just like to say, um, taxpayers subsidizing stadiums for billionaire owners. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, I mean, how is that not socialism, welfare? We were trained to snarl and growl and bark like Pavlov's dogs at the programs that are intended to uh, help the poor. But this is okay. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's confusing. I don't think we're being consistent when we make that argument. Well, th- Julian, thanks for the call. I, I'll, I'll give you, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the response to that. Um, this, okay, American Family Field is not a stadium that the Brewers own. It, it's a stadium that the public owns. And uh, just like if if you own, if you own a house, okay, and you're renting it out, and the house needs needs improvements, okay. Um, well, what you know, the renter is not going to make the improvements. It, it's the the owner that's going to make the improvements. That that's just the, the reality of this. So it, it's not like it's necessarily socialism. This isn't money. I mean, I, I guess. Look, I understand. I get the argument. This is you know we're taking taxpayer dollars and we're contributing to this sport and it's millionaires and it's billionaires and um, you know if you look at what baseball teams are sold for now, I mean there, there's no question that they, they bought it for a relative song. When they get out of this and when they sell it they're going to make a fortune on this there's no question about it it's it's a great investment in that respect maybe not year to year but ultimately the way it appreciates is is just incredible look at what happened to the bucks and how much the bucks values increased in just a few years but having said that again american family field isn't owned by the brewers the brewers are the tenants and so they're simply saying hey look this is part of our lease agreement you as the owner have to you as the owner public authorities, you have an obligation to continue to make these improvements that are required by the lease. So it's your job to figure out where the money comes from. So I don't necessarily see this as socialism or a, a handout to um, you know the billionaires or the millionaires that play. It, it's, it's an investment. And that's what the ultimate decision comes down to. Are, you know, is Wisconsin in general, and is southeast Wisconsin in particular, especially Milwaukee County and the city, are they better off if we have a team playing at American Family Field? Is it worth the money, given all that the brewers are going to generate, to make the improvements to entice them to sign another lease? And I think my answer is has always been on this, yes, that, that it is, and you, you want to kind of get this done. I do seriously question, though, where, where the brewers are going to go um, this idea that, well, you know, we, we're drawing two and a half million and baseball is going to let us leave 
over this particular issue. I, I'm not sure that the owners of baseball are, are – I mean, Oakland's been jerking around for 20 years, and Oakland doesn't draw flies. Tampa Bay, like I say, in the same situation. Um, let's talk to Roger in Sheboygan. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking me. Um, sure. you, you just took everything off of what I was going to say. Oh, I own a couple uh, <laughs> uh, uh, duplexes, uh, and say I need a new roof. Do I ask the tenants to help me pay for the roof? No. I'll get no. different tenants. And so uh, that's how I look at it. And and the other thing is uh, uh, um, Antimaggio, I'm mispronouncing his name, who bought Antonazio, for yeah. $500 million. It, 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 what he sells them, if he does, it'll be a couple billion, like you said. And maybe at that point, then he should give his share of the improvements. Uh, write a well, contract like that. Yeah, well, so, you, R- Roger, remember Herb Cole? I mean, Herb Cole, yes. um, you know, helped, you know, when he, to facilitate the sale of the bucks, Herb Cole kicked in money to help with the development of Fiserv, you know, which um, I, I think was, yes. Yes. regardless of how people feel about Senator Cole, that was kind of unprecedented at, at the time. Right. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Well, yeah. that was Herb Cole, <laughs> and yeah. that was his own private decision. And he also yep. built that beautiful stadium in uh, in Madison, named after him. And, yeah, and through luck of the draw, his his last name is the same as uh, where I buy my uh, my shirts. Roger, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. Probably where you bought a lot of your groceries at the time as well. Look, I just we're going to have all sorts of opportunities to discuss this in, in the future. I think a deal is going to get done. I think. I think whoever it is that's feeding the newspaper these stories, suggesting that, oh, the brewers might actively start shopping around six years before their lease expires, I don't think that that is helpful at all. Will a deal ultimately get done? Yeah, I I think so, because I think the Republicans in the legislature want to do it. The governor wants to do it. But, you know, the governor might end up having to twist some arms, get some Democrats to vote for this, because there's going to be some Republicans who probably say no. But maybe that's where Tony Evers can come in and can use his influence to help get this deal done. Back with much more in just a couple minutes. We're broadcasting live from the Bank 5-9 studio at the Wisconsin State Fair. We've got a fun two o'clock hour coming up it's my last it is my last hour of broadcasting from the 2023 state fair we're going to have a little bit of fun so don't go anywhere from the bank 59 wtmj studios at the wisconsin state fair it's the jeff wagner show live from state fair now here is jeff wagner Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. This is my last hour at the 2023 State Fair. We are, of course, broadcasting over the air. We're we're streaming. And if you're one of those who likes to watch us while we do this, we have our cameras working from the Wisconsin State Fair. You can simply go to WTMJ.com, click the Watch Live button, or we've got our own YouTube channel as well. Hello, we've got, and we have a particularly attractive crowd. Okay, now this is for the benefit of those of you who are here, but also for the people who are watching on our our, our live stream. I, I make a point of, of of saying on a daily basis that my, my wife dresses me, which is a, a very very good thing. But so lately, she's taken to um, finding the these shirts that she puts me in, and and she tries to be nice about it. But she'll say, "Well, when people get, particularly men, get to a certain age, they get." 
Well, what she wants to say is guts. You know, you get a gut. You know, you get a little bit of a paunch. Well, you know, and that, that's okay. I can live. Everybody here, you're not. Yeah, that's it. Everybody's going, I'm getting, I'm getting the, that affirmation. Okay, well, we know what you're talking about. And, and she wants to say it in a nice way. It's not like, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm necessarily like morbidly rotund or anything. But so she's taken to buying clothes and she's found this brand of shirt that she says they are they're kind of like slimming that if you you know if you wear them it, they they kind of hide your paunch that that's i guess what the, what the idea is so this is for the benefit of everybody who's watching us on our live stream I'm going to stand up here and see that's the there you go, kind of. That's it. You know, it's it's there. Yeah, I'm getting thumbs up from there. You know, after the crowd's getting thumbs up, right? It, you know, it's. I'll be the first to acknowledge that me naked is not a pretty sight. But you know, you put this shirt on and stuff, and it kind of hides a little bit of that there. So that was kind of our visual aid. If you watch us <laughs> on on the the live stream here, so if you can't be out at the state fair taking advantage of this, okay, I want to have a little bit of fun in this hour of the program. Pop culture corner, as always, coming up at the bottom of the hour. Here's the deal. Matter of fact, one of my teammates who's back here just got back from Disney World. It was down at, at Disney World. His family just got back yesterday. This is his first day back. And I said, you came back a day too early. And he said, why? Because you're you're missing the, the big event. Now, if you've ever been at Disney World in the fall, you know one of the things they do is they kick off Halloween is a big thing. And they, they have at Disney World, they have this Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween party. And what happens is they, they, they shut down the park at whatever time they shut it down, 5 or 5.30. And then people come back, they open it up, and then there's a, a special like Halloween-themed thing that goes from 6 until 10 or whenever the park closes. And people come back dressed in costumes. The kids come back, they're dressed in costumes. They have, you, know, you go into the different areas throughout the Magic Kingdom, and they're giving out candy and things like that. It, it's, it's a separate ticket. Um, but it, it's a big attraction. So why am I talking about Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party? Because tonight, tonight is the kickoff for the Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. Walt Disney World is starting with its Halloween celebrations tonight, which happens to be, of course, the first night of the, the the first NFL preseason game is tonight as well. So if you're down at Disney World, you could participate in Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. Apparently, according to the stories I'm looking at, um, or Six Flags and Universal, they are going to be starting this soon. And the argument is, yes, we know that Halloween is at the end of October, but... Halloween is a big seller. People buy candy and things like that. And essentially, the marketers have figured out, just like you know, it used to be with Christmas, you know, you, you really didn't start thinking about like Christmas sales till after Thanksgiving. You know, now there's been that that creep where you know it's like, okay, we're, we're going to start doing the Christmas stuff in early November or late October. This is the Halloween creep. People are starting to look at Halloween celebrations in the middle of August. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, is this too soon? 
Are <laughs> I heard I heard through our soundproof glass everybody going absolutely yes. Okay, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Is it too soon for the pumpkin spice lattes? Is it too soon for the scary stuff? Is it too soon for the Halloween candy in the drugstores? Walt Disney World is rolling out its not-so-scary Mickey's Halloween theme starting tonight. And just to give you an idea, there's six more of these scheduled through the end of August. You heard me right, the end of August. They're all sold out. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Are you ready for Halloween in August? And if not, when should we really start to be thinking about Halloween? I mean, the kids aren't even back in school. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner is back right after this on WTMJ. Creative Planning presents Rethink Your Money with John Hagenson, Saturday afternoon at 1. At Creative Planning, we have an entire team working for you, including wealth advisors, CPAs, and attorneys, all working together, all in one place. Let Creative Planning show you a richer way to wealth. Visit creativeplanning.com. That's creativeplanning.com. When big national banks make a decision, it requires many emails, phone calls, and plenty of video conferences from around the globe. When we make a banking decision, we do it over a cup of coffee in our office. Finding a local bank that's passionate about the community and knows your name is hard to find these days. Good morning, Diane. Welcome back. The search is over. Waterstone Bank, proud to be your local bank for over 100 years. Love your bank as much as we love this community. Waterstone Bank, Waukesha, Milwaukee, and Washington County. Member FDIC. You're just going to have to live with it. That's what I told myself. And if you can believe it, that's what the doctors told me. Since Andy was a boy, he had health issues, which later we would find were primarily due to his trouble breathing. So for 36 years, Andy lived with about 85% blockage in his nose. He had to breathe through his mouth, because when he tried to breathe through his nose, it felt like he was being suffocated. It affected his sleep, his work life, and his ability to play sports. And he wasn't going to let it ruin his life anymore. So he came to Advent. As bad as it was, his problem required a simple solution. In-office balloon sinuplasty and turbinate reduction. Procedures you won't find offered by Big Box Healthcare. This is Dr. Mudden Candula. It's definitely possible that your nasal breathing problems have a simple solution, too. You can hear Andy's story in his own words at adventknowsandy.com and begin on your path to breathing well and living better. Results may vary. Hey, WTMJ's John Mercure here. My house is beautiful. It's been transformed. My wife is happy. Wisconsin Granite Design has one-of-a-kind custom slabs to choose from. They've got it all. Granite, quartz, marble. One of the largest showrooms in the Midwest. Two to three weeks. That's the process from beginning to end. They did the work in our house. It was easy. They were there on time. They cleaned up. And we've got the best-looking granite in the neighborhood. Almost 80 years of experience. It's Wisconsin Granite Design. WisconsinGraniteDesign.com. A locally-owned woman Owned business, Wisconsin Granite Design. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. They call it Code Orange, which is the sign for the stores are starting to put Halloween stuff out. One of our texters says, Jeff, 
I was in a retailer today. I noticed they already have the clothing out. Jeff, Costco already has costumes in the store. Spirit Halloween stores are starting to open. I believe the focus should be September for Halloween, but I know plenty of people who start decorating for Christmas on November 1st. Same concept. I love Halloween. It's my favorite holiday, but I am not celebrating yet. If you're just tuning in, at at Walt Disney World, they do this big thing um, around Halloween. It used to be around Halloween. You know, Mickey's not so scary Halloween party. The first one is tonight. And for the six other events that they have, Mickey's Scary Halloween Party, through the end of August, they're all sold out. So we're now talking, we're not even in the middle of August yet. Kids aren't back to school yet. The NFL football season hasn't started yet, but we're with Halloween already. Um, Jeff, I told my husband when we were in the store this week that Halloween and pumpkin spice would be back right after back to school was over. I guess I was wrong. Yeah, it's too soon. Mid-September would be okay. Jeff, Costco in New Berlin already has Christmas decorations set up and playing music in the store. Okay, I really... I mean, Christmas, Christmas in August, I, I'm still out there looking for summer stuff. I mean, this is this has always been the frustration. If you need a swimsuit or something because, hey, it's, it's August, you know, good luck trying to find something like that because they've already got the fall clothing out. But it's Halloween for, you know, Halloween for goodness sake. Jeff, we've done the Mickey's uh, Halloween party in August, September, and October. Always fun. Love to be able to attend when we go earlier in the year. Um, yeah, well, I guess there's that argument there. A lot of people, one, one person says, scary, crazy about this. Um, Jeff, it's way too soon, but Halloween has evolved into one of the biggest holidays in the country, popularly and economically. It, it has, you know, taken off. There's no doubt about that. So you're starting to see all these things, but the, the bottom line is there's no more seasons anymore. And I guess I, I don't know what the standard is because if you're putting Halloween stuff in out in October, when in August, I mean, should we start putting the Thanksgiving stuff out in well early September and Christmas? I don't I don't know by the end of September, by certainly October first, should we have all the Christmas out? When do we start playing Christmas carols? October first or whatever? It, it you know there always used to be these different seasons that were there. You had okay, it was back to school. Then you know October was Halloween and then. And November was Thanksgiving and December was Christmas, you know, all those type of things. Uh, no, not working out that way. One of our texters says, let's enjoy summer while we have it. Absolutely. Especially around here. Summer is so, so, so short. You know, why Why can't we enjoy the state fair? Now, I, I, I confess, though, I, I always, one of the reasons I get nostalgic about the, the state fair coming to an end like it will on Sunday is, for me, I, I know it's not the end of summer, but for me, unofficially, Whenever State Fair rolls around, it's always like the beginning of the end of, of summer. You know, and I mean, technically, you know, summer, I understand it's technically summer runs through September. But, you know, certainly by the time Labor Day rolls around, we're all starting to think fall and things like that. And the days are becoming shorter and stuff like that. But, you know, when State Fair closes in a couple days, that's sort of the unofficial beginning of the end of summer. And I always feel a little bit bad about that. One of our texters says, Jeff, everything in retail keeps getting earlier and earlier, and it all gets cleared out weeks before the actual 
actual holiday. Some coffee shops, other than Starbucks, are already doing pumpkin spice stuff, and I've already seen Christmas displays up. Jeff, I was just at Hobby Lobby. Many aisles of Christmas for those crafty people and others. I hate the heat. I look forward to the fall. Jeff, let's just have all seasons merchandise all year round. Well, there is definitely an element of of that. But bottom line is, if you can't get enough of Halloween, well, okay, don't worry. Um, it's, it is becoming a year-round thing. Okay, before Pop Culture Corner, I want to talk about one more thing. I want to get your input on, on this. Uh, if, if you are like me, I order a lot of stuff from Amazon, and I, I've, I've talked about this before. It's just I'm not a shopper. I'm a buyer. I see something. I see a book. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to drive to Barnes & Noble and think, okay, do you have this book that's been, you know, came out in print like 10 years ago? I go to Amazon. I order it. One of the things, though, that, that I really I do notice about Amazon and I feel a little bit guilty about is you order stuff and it comes in these big boxes, right? There's all – you go, what, what's in the box? And then you open it up and there's all this packaging and stuff. Here's the deal. Wall Street Journal has this story. Um, apparently – Amazon is revamping its logistics network so that more and more stuff that they deliver, about 11% of items that the company delivers now, arrives without extra packaging or what the company calls ships in its own container. So, you know, what happens is maybe you order a blender, Okay, the blender, instead of being in a cardboard box or whatever, the blender is just delivered in the blender box, the box that if you'd gone into Walmart or you'd gone into Costco and bought it, it's that box. Um, box of baby wipes, a box of trash bags. A lot of this stuff is now just coming in its original packaging. And that that's something that Amazon is working on trying to encourage more of. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, from a customer perspective, you order some stuff from Amazon, for example. Do you mind if you come and it's on your front doorstep and the, the blender is in the blender box? It's not in another box. If you've ordered reams of paper or whatever, whatever, pens, whatever, they're just there without in it being in a separate container. Would that bother you? 855-616-1620. I, I, so far... The stuff I get still comes in, in various packages as a general rule, and then you have to take it out of the packaging. But, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, if I, actually, that's my contribution to saving the planet, I guess. I just I look at a lot of the packaging and all the extra packaging, and I'm going, man, I don't need that. 855-616-1620. Do you mind your neighbors being able to look at your porch and see what it is that you've ordered from Amazon? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. So if you're just tuning in, here, here's the deal. Amazon is trying to get out of the packaging business. So when people order stuff, about a, one out of every ten orders right now comes in its original packaging. You, you buy, you order a bicycle pump, and it comes in a box. Box. You order a blender, just like, just like if you would have gone to the store and and purchased this. That's how it comes. Um, first of all, that that of course saves on all the packaging in the boxes. And I admit, as somebody who shops on Amazon on a regular basis, I feel guilty sometimes because I'm like, gosh, I just I ordered, I don't know, some pens or or a couple paperback books or whatever, and it comes in this big box. Really didn't need that. Secondly, Amazon's all about trying to get stuff to you quickly. 
And if you can remove that, that time element it takes to grab whatever item you purchased and box it and then ship it out, if you can just figure out a way, here, we're going to grab it and we're going to get deliver it directly, you skip that step so you can have faster delivery. Would it bother you? 855-616-1620. Sandy in Stevens Point. Sandy, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, this is right in my wheelhouse. I am in the shipping business, and I actually worked for FedEx for 11 years. And I can tell you exactly why they're doing this. It's all about the utilization of the space of the truck. So imagine if you have a 10-pound box, and it's an astronomical size. You're utilizing that much space in the truck. So FedEx and UPS, what they do is they charge customers the dimensional weight versus the actual weight. So imagine if you owned a business and you're putting this small piece in this large box, you're paying Mm -hmm. more than you really need to versus versus protecting or not seeing that blender box. It's all about utilizing and maximizing the space on the truck. Do you think people are going to care? I mean, I, I, I got to tell you honestly. If I'll use the example of the blender, I mean, I don't. From my perspective, I don't care. I don't need that blender that's delivered to my per, por, porch. I don't care if it's in a separate package or if it's just in the blender box. To me, it wouldn't make any difference. Well, maybe they'll come up with a way to hide that blender, you know, in case it is sitting up on, on somebody's porch by wrapping it in paper or something. I don't know if they're going to do that, but it's all about yeah. cost. And maximizing yeah. the, the space on the truck. So yeah, it, interesting. It's, uh, way it's of the, the wave of the future. Uh, yeah, yeah, the wave of the world. Thanks for the call, Sandy. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, yeah we, a number of people are you're making the point, well, what about if you're ordering something embarrassing? And then people are giving all sorts of examples of things that might be embarrassing to order. Well, I, I think my guess is that there's always going to be options as to you know whether you you want that or not and and maybe maybe that option you know is going to um, impact like where you live for example because i i mean i i do appreciate that you know if if you've ordered something like like really good okay you've ordered uh you know you've ordered a fifteen hundred or a two thousand dollar you know apple laptop computer well you you might not want that necessarily just left on your your porch it might be too big a, a, too much or or you know at you've ordered a really nice tv set you know and that the tv's been delivered hey there's a 60 inch tv that's sitting out on somebody's front porch might be too much temptation tony and appear tony you're on wtmj good afternoon what do you think I, I kind of have mixed feelings. I agree, you know, like on the low-dollar stuff, kind of the point you were making before on the low-dollar stuff, maybe send it in the original packaging. But on the higher-end stuff, like I ordered DeWalt tools, and they always come in a nice bright yellow box, and I'd always be concerned that, you know, that yellow box sitting on my porch would almost be like a flashing light to attract <laughs> porch pirates and come grab it. They go, they know, ooh, that's a high-dollar thing. I'm going to go take that versus, ooh, I'm going to go grab that, and it's going to be a case of baby wipes or something, you know. <laughs> Yeah, of course, you can resell baby wipes a lot. Yeah, no, thanks for the call, Tony. And I, I appreciate that. That's the issue that they have, too. The, the story I'm looking at in the Wall Street Journal says that um, customers typically on Amazon right now, um, they say about 11% of the items that they deliver arrive without extra packaging or what the company calls ships in its own container. That's the, the phrase they use. And apparently right now, I, I mean, I just 
I've never seen this before, but maybe I just haven't paid attention. It says customers are typically able to choose at checkout if they want extra packaging or prefer, prefer their order without it. So, again, that would be the thing. If you've got something that I don't know, maybe is embarrassing or personal or really highly valuable or something, you, you might want that. Whereas, again, if it's something that you're not really worried that somebody's going to grab, you know, what, what do you care if that if that blender box is out there? This, though, I'm telling you, it is the wave of the future. Okay, that's the wave of the long-term future. The immediate future, it is that time of the week. Pop Culture Corner is coming up. Don't go anywhere. We're broadcasting live from the Bank 5-9 studio at the Wisconsin State Fair. Gather round all, it's time for Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Time to put aside the heavy lifting and have a good time at the old National Bank Talkin' Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank, get old. Now, here's Jeff Wagner. Like the big voice guy says, for those of you who are new to the program, we do this every Friday during the 2.30 to 3 o'clock segment of the program. I call it Pop Culture Corner. We, we stop talking about politics. We stop talking about crime. And we try to have a little bit of fun as we lead into the weekend. Um, sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about travel. Sometimes it's movies. Sometimes it's TV. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's sports. It's it's generally triggered by something that happened during the particular week that kind of tickles my fancy and I think might make for an interesting conversation. This week's topic from the Wisconsin State Fair. Again, I really, I'm going to miss being here at the State Fair. I just, I've always loved it. I just I sit in this booth and I just all the memories come roaring back. But this week's pop culture corner comes. My gosh, we have a huge crowd that's kind of assembling and a very good looking crowd, by the way. I say this all the time. I have noticed over all these years that the people who come and congregate and watch this particular show, really great looking people. And all of you folks certainly represent that today. OK, pop culture corner this week from the world of music. Um, Robbie Robertson passed away. Um, Robbie Robertson, for those of you who do not know, he was one of the members of the group known as the band. He was probably the most instantly recognizable member of of the band. The band were a group of a group of musicians. Levon Helm was another. I was a huge fan of Levon Helm, and the the band. They played together. They they were traveling on the road. They were originally known as the Hawks. And then their, their heyday was 1968 to about 1976 when they, they did uh, they did lots of work with Bob Dylan. Um, they, they first really became famous with the music. Um, the record was called Music from Big Pink, which was a house in Woodstock that they had rented and they played. But the band went on six, seven albums. They did very, very well. The, actually, I mean, the height of their creativity was the first couple albums. But the band was absolutely huge, and Robbie Robertson was the front guy. He got most of the attention because there was a movie called The Last Waltz, which Martin Scorsese directed in uh, – the band broke up like in 1976, and they they had their their final concert in San Francisco, and it was filmed. and The, the movie came out in 1978, and um, Robbie Robertson was the unquestioned star of of this. He and Scorsese, who was the uh, director, were were close friends, and it created some animosity because other members of the group thought, "Hey, we're gonna get we're kind of getting messed over. We're equally as important." But this was a star, star turn for Robbie Robertson. But anyhow, Robbie Robertson. Um, passed away at the age of 80 he was seminal when it came to to the band and i have always believed and i'm a huge fan 
of of the band. I have all their records. Again, I think I think creative from a creative perspective, the last couple records aren't anywhere near as good as the first couple records. But I have always believed that they were incredibly underrated as musicians and as talents. So for Pop Culture Corner this week, presented by Palermo's Pizza, as always, this is my question. A musician or a musical group that you think is incredibly underrated. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, this can be a very famous and successful group that you still believe, I don't think they get, or the performer, he or she, I don't think they get enough credit for what they did, even though they can be very successful, or it could be somebody that's more obscure. But, you know, a, a group or an individual, because I think the band never, then they were successful and they were famous, but I don't think they ever got the credit that they fully deserve for being as good as they were. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. We are sponsored by Palermo's Pizza, and there will be one caller in the complete and total discretion of my producer, Samantha, who wins our Palermo's Pizza prize package, which includes a coupon for a couple frozen pizzas and this really cool Palermo's uh, pizza cutter and some other stuff as well. That goes to one of our callers, 855-616-1620. An underrated in recognition of the passing of Robbie Robertson of the band at the age of 80 this week, a musician or musical group that you think was incredibly Underrated. Back with your calls in just a minute. We're broadcasting live from the Bank 5-9 studio at the Wisconsin State Fair. It's pop culture time. Now back to take your calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Went out, was talking to people. I was showing off the shirt that my wife says is slimming. We'll figure that out. One of our listeners says, hey, we're talking about underrated musicians. Um, Robbie Robertson passed away. He was probably the, the lead front guy for the band, um, the band the, called The Band. And I always thought the band was incredibly underrated. One of our listeners was saying uh, Frank Zappa, Mothers of Invention, uh, really a creative guy. 855-616-1620. Um, who do you think is... I don't know, a performer or, uh, again, whether it's the individual uh, performer or the band, that you think just never got as much credit as it deserved. Uh, let's start with Kevin in uh, Shawano. Kevin, we ready for Kevin? Okay, not ready for Kevin. 855-616-1620. Jeff, uh, okay, okay, got it. Uh, let's see. Uh Let's see. Um, a, a single artist, I would say Bob Dylan. I don't think he gets near enough credit for all the music that he has written and all the people that have benefited. Well, um, Dylan, obviously a huge star, but that's it. Juice uh, Newton, country rock innovator. Um yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, I always thought their own original local band, the Bodine, should have been more famous back in the day. Jeff, for me, it was Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. They are definitely underrated. Yeah, they were always kind of viewed as sort of a, a poor man's um, Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band. But they were talented enough on their own. Jane, Jane's Addiction, L.A. rock band from the late 80s, helped shape the future of 1990s alternative Rock. Um, Jeff, for me, it's Night Ranger, um, especially Brad Gillis on the lead guitar. Uh, let's see. Rob says, Jeff, I, Badfinger. I know you can elaborate on this. Badfinger had um, 
you know, they were viewed when Badfinger first came out, they were being thought of as being like the, the new Beatles. And it just the, the band kind of broke up. They're probably best known for the song um, Baby Blue, which, as I recall, was the one that ended the uh, the, the Breaking Bad uh, thing. Uh, the, that was the last song at the end of the TV show, Breaking Bad. Jeff, I think Leonard Cohen was underrated in the U.S. He was very popular in Europe. Um, Jeff, I think it was John Fogarty of CCR. John Fogarty, an incredible, an incredible talent. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I'd say he was necessarily underrated, but I guess you know you could put him in the same category of Robert Robbie Robertson and um, the band. Um, no question about it. Uh, ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. Jeff, I think Cheryl Crow is an excellent songwriter and musician. Honestly, I think that female musicians get sold a little short in general. Um, to me, Jeff, it was Sticks. Jeff, to me, it was the Monkees. You know, interestingly enough, I think the I think the monkeys. Um, I, I, I you know I mean I was I remember Monkey Mania and they, their their problem is they got compared to the Beatles and and they weren't the Beatles but who were eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with um, Eric. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, underrated musician or band. Well, this is a musician that I could listen to all day long because he is just such an incredible songwriter, singer, guitar player, and he gets very little airplay, but it's John Denver. It is impossible to describe how big John Denver was for a, a period of time, like in the 1970s, with all the, the yeah, um with all the different music that he had come out with. He, and then he just kind of faded from view, but th- but there's still this huge legacy of great John Denver songs. Right, right. And yeah. I, he gets very little airplay as far as I know these days. Yeah, uh, right. No, thanks for calling. You know, I mean, Country Roads and there's just, you know, um, there's just so many. Jeff, Chris Christofferson, um, very, very talented songwriter. Not only could he sing, I'm a huge fan of Chris Christofferson. I'm not sure I go kind of along with the idea that he could sing. <laughs> that that was his, his problem. His voice was his limitation. But he's the guy that wrote, um, you know, Me and Bobby McGee that became a huge hit for uh, Janis Joplin. Jeff, for me, it's John Cougar Mellencamp. I saw Mellencamp in concert not that long long ago and he's, he's sort of a, a bristly kind of personality but when you hear him play his songs you, you kind of forget what a what an incredible songbook he has i mean it really is just kind of like tom petty it's the great american um songbook jeff i know it sounds silly but for me it's the partridge family if you listen to their albums they are as talented as many of the bands from the early 70s well that's of course you know the partridge family had all the studio musicians and um david cassidy was was the front guy singing on that let's talk to kevin in shawano kevin you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff happy friday um my selection is kiss And uh, the biggest reason I'm saying KISS is so underrated is because we're talking about a band that started, you know, in the late 60s as uh, Wicked Lester, changed their name to KISS in the 70s, and were so influential. In fact, they were very influential in the glam band uh, scene. And it wasn't until the 2000s that they got admitted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, I, you know, there's a lot of bands that got in before them that were less deserving than KISS. You know, it's funny you should mention KISS because I was... 
when when Kiss first came out, I was I was kind of into the the country rock sort of stuff that that sort of stuff and the the Eagles and those sort of things. And my my brother, my younger brother, brings home this Kiss record, and I'm like, and I I, I forget which one it was, but it was like the, the Kiss was just starting out. And I'm going, what are you doing? And these guys are wearing makeup and stuff like that. And I listened to the record, and it was it was really incredible. I mean, and and Kiss has had amazing longevity over those years. It's 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 really is a, a great it's a great band um, that, that's out there, and it, you gotta you gotta respect everything that they've done. Yeah, and uh, so, they're on tour for their last tour, supposedly. Um, yeah. Rosemont Horizon in, in uh, December. I'm going down to see them for the eighth time. So Out, outstanding. Well, Kevin, um, obviously my producer Samantha agrees with you because you are the winner of our Palermo's Pizza Prize Package for today. So enjoy the pizzas and the pizza cutter on us, and um, rock on with Kiss. All right, awesome, Jeff. Have a nice weekend. Yeah, you as well. Randy, um, okay, let's see. Randy in South Milwaukee. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello there. Hi, Uh, Randy. You gotta love Jim Croce. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, uh, That time in a bottle, yeah, I mean, they're bad, bad Leroy Brown. There's so many great songs. You don't sit on Superman Cape? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely, you know that you you want to talk about a guy who was you just wonder if if he if he had lived, um, you just wonder you know what what he would have accomplished. Hey, thanks for the call, Randy. I appreciate it. Jim Croce was just absolutely great, and I think definitely underrated. Um, you know, there, there's this whole group of, of musicians that that the road got that that were taken by the road, and by that I mean whether it's car crashes or plane crashes like Leonard Skinner, or whether it was you know drugs like Janis Joplin or Jim Morrison or things like that. You just wonder if they had Jimi Hendrix. You wonder if they had lived. You know what what this would be, um, Jeff. I really felt that Warren Zevon was always very underrated, since all you heard was probably about five or six of his songs. You know that's that's correct. You know, there there was a running joke. Um, gosh, I think it was on the HBO thing, uh, the Larry Sanders show, which in itself was 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 a parody. And you know, Warren Zevon, everybody always wanted to play Werewolves of London, and he's like, I can't stand, I can't believe that they're expecting me to play Werewolves of London again. But if if you listen to Warren Zevon's stuff, including his last couple albums right before he passed away, you you know, he was an incredibly gifted songwriter, and the stuff he was producing at the time he passed away, I think, was as good as the stuff he said earlier. Let's see, uh, Jeff. For me, it's Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, R.E.M. Well, you can't go wrong with R.E.M. Um, Jeff, for me, Jackson Brown. Never thought he got the credit. You know, Jackson Brown, um, I think people people don't realize how many songs he wrote. Um, Take It Easy, for example, just a, a great anthem that the Eagles made famous. That was a Jackson Brown song um, that, that he turned into that. Uh, Jeff, Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. His solo career was just unbelievably amazing. Of course, The Grateful Dead was also the best live band out there. Jeff, for me, it was John Prine. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm 
you know, John Prine, who passed away about two years ago, I, I think John Prine, the singing mailman, you know, from uh, from Illinois, um, he was uh, just incredible. I saw John Prine when he first started out, was a huge fan for decades and decades. You know, actually, as he got older, I think he got more attention. But for me, underrated. I'm with it. Heart, great group. Um, how about the Alan Parsons Project? Yeah, I like that. See, I love this. People thinking about all the great bands that are out there that maybe never, they were successful but never got the credit they deserved. All great. So, I don't know. Here's my challenge to you for the weekend. I don't know. Dig out those old LPs. Dig out the CDs. Whatever you're going to do, find one of your favorite musicians that you think never got to do that they deserved. And in memory of Robbie Robertson, I don't know, fire up one of those old albums and enjoy yourself. That is Pop Culture Corner for today.